What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. So Teresa, thank you so much for coming on again. This is our, our second podcast together, and I hope that you'll be a recurring guest because you're just such a fascinating person and, and so well-versed in so many areas. And I think that's really you know, what I admire in you as a person is that you're really a, a renaissance woman of sorts in the sense that you do your own homework, you, you know, are well-rounded, and you know about the areas that matter to your own life, right? Like your, your health, like you actively go and research that, especially, you know, for your, your kids and your husband. So, you know, this is something you're actively going and doing. And I think if we're going to be empowered to make our own decisions as consumers and Americans, it's, it's really our responsibility to do our own homework and our own research. So that's something I just want to acknowledge about you that I, I definitely appreciate. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the most important thing, right? Especially when it comes to your children's health. It's like our main responsibility. How do you teach your children to learn, like at a strategic level? Well, that's an open-ended question. Um, how do I teach them to learn? Well, let's let's circle back because when they first started school, I actually put them into Montessori school. So um, I don't know if you're familiar, and I think a lot of people have no idea what Montessori school is, and they think you just go and like do whatever you want and play, and that's really not actually what it is. Montessori is, it's really interesting because basically it teaches kids to be autonomous and responsible and independent. And so they kind of like learn from a very young age, from like pre-K age, that they can take care of themselves. They can ask questions. They can say why. Like it's a totally different environment than like most regular schools. Um, and actually, if you look like some of the super brilliant people in this world, like Sergey Brin, the founders of Google, and like people have gone through Montessori because it makes you excited about learning. And so that's the thing with Montessori is like from the beginning, I wanted them to be excited about it and not be like, oh, learning sucks. Yeah. Um, and so now they are in traditional school now and it's a very different environment. And so, you know, if you want to jump right in, we can talk about, for example, like now the school that they go to, how they have to wear masks. So we're kind of at a crossroads because we have to say, okay, well, do you want to wear a mask or do you want to sit home by yourself all day on a computer and not see your friends and be bored? And so we let them make that, that decision. They want to go back, but we also tell them like, we teach them on our end here, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be worried. Like there's nothing to be afraid of here. Obviously we have to comply because this is the policy here. Um, but you know, in our house, we don't worry about that stuff. We don't wear masks. And so I, I raise them to constantly question, constantly ask why, and like constantly seek information in the truth. I think that's the biggest thing is not just take anybody's word for like, this is, this is how it is, is always like do your own research. Do you think that that's how, you know, the, the echo chambers that form on the internet and I think the extension of echo chambers is cancel culture. Do you think that's rooted in people not doing their own homework or do you think that's more of a product of just the technology and it's, you know, proliferation? All of it. I think that, you know, like let's say for example, functional health, you know, I'm so in it. So it's so like common knowledge and obvious for me, but like, let's say for example, like my kids, teachers, they're working from, you know, they get up and they go to school. If they work out before school, they're like five, they get off school, they do homework, they have to take care of their kids or whatever. They don't even have time to even think, let alone research anything else. So I think a big part of it is people don't like the majority of like middle, lower income people don't have the time to actually do research or read books. I mean, I'm sure everyone has some time, but you see what I'm saying? And I think that they just kind of turn to the TV or wherever for their information. They don't think twice about it. And they don't have the time to sit on Instagram like we do and like follow different pages. They're like, hey, stop listening to everybody's advice and do your own research. You know, so I think that that's, that's a big part of the problem is people, you know, it's not necessarily that they're stupid. It's just that they don't understand or have that knowledge. You know what I mean? Even with little things, if we don't want to even talk about like the pandemic, we could talk about just basic health stuff. You know, like right now they're still teaching. It's a travesty. They're still teaching the food pyramid, right? That's what like dietitians and people are teaching, which is so antiquated and outdated, but there's a reason for that. You know, they want to keep people sick, right? So that they can be on more medication. Um, and so the teachers teach the food pyramid. So I have to go in and be like, listen to me. Like, I don't want my kids. This is not how we operate at home. I don't want you teaching my children anything about education. If you'd like, I'd come in. So I've actually gone in, like when they were in Montessori, I've gone in when I was a health and fitness expert and done like health lessons for the kids. 
So again, I think it's just they don't know. Like they really don't know. And they're not naturally inclined to like be a seeker like I am, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think when there's what look like conclusive answers out immediately available, it's like, why do your own homework? We Nobody really has time for that. Things are so competitive these days with all the entrepreneurship and just, you know, a big country like ours where everyone's moving at a, a breakneck pace and just in order to keep an edge. You know, the, the concept of doing over-the-top learning is just, you know, it's not an option or it's inconceivable for a lot of people. So, you know, I, I guess like one question... And that is like, what's wrong with the food pyramid that we've been taught? Well, this is a loaded question because even in my space, and, and I, actually, let's come back to this because I want to say one more thing about what we're just talking about. Is, you know, another thing is too, is you have to look at people's personalities. So have you ever heard of the DISC profile? This? The DISC, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? Yeah, of so it's not like behavioral, but it's kind of, it's, it's not a personality, it's more behavioral. And so like they estimate that 55% of the United States is an is a S personality which is basically means status quo. So if this is like how it's always been done, that's how they'll always be doing. So I think that's part of the problem too, is like there's a subset of us that are like, no, that's not what we're going to do just because it's always been done. But then the majority they're like, but that's what, you know, that's what we've always done. We've always drank milk. We've always gotten vaccines. We've always done this. And that's what the doctor says. So I think that's a part of it too. And then kind of the same thing with the food pyramid. Like that's, you know, like this is how it's been for a very long time. Where this gets tricky is, I can tell you what I believe, and then I can tell you that there's other people that are in my network that are very esteemed that don't agree with me, and they don't agree with each other. It's just such a divisive topic, and we laugh. It's almost like the new religion. Like, food is like the new religion. Like, paleo, keto, high-protein, low-protein, vegan, not like... So, depending on who you talk to is a different answer, and there's a lot of scientific data supporting all of it. So, that's where you have to look at, um, for example, what I believe is I believe that we should eat the way that we used to, like... If you think about evolutionarily speaking, right, as hunters and gatherers, we still have, for the most part, the same DNA as people that were roaming the earth when we first became humans. Okay, so our lifestyle was very different. We were hunters and gatherers. We foraged for our food, right? We had like little berries, like we didn't have like dense packages of carbohydrates like we have now with like grains and all these, you know, agricultural things. And so my philosophy of eating, I wouldn't call it paleo because I don't call myself, you know, it's not a diet. It's just more of, I eat all whole foods. You know, I think that you need to have definitely higher protein than what most people eat. One of my best friends is the world-leading expert in protein, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. And she's one of the very few people, she's a DO in the functional space, saying, you're ridiculous, like, stop being vegan. Like, she was, uh, she did her fellowship training, which I don't know if you know what that means, but basically when you come out, when you come out of med school and residency, it's like a very specialized program that you get accepted to and you do really super specialized training. And she did hers in geriatrics. Um, And what she saw was basically the most sick and unhealthy people at the end of their life were the people that were vegans and did not eat enough protein and were sedentary. So her whole mission, she's come up with this whole paradigm of muscle-centric medicine and talks about how we focus on the wrong problem. We're not over fat, we're under-muscled. And the way that we fix that is by movement and protein. So she's really a pioneer in that. She's one of the few people coming out along with these carnivore people saying like, no, we need to eat more meat, we need to eat way less everything else. So I would say I sway on that side, um, but I also am not a carnivore to where I'm like, I'm not going to eat vegetables, you know, and plants. So I'm, I'm more balanced, but my biggest thing is like, I don't eat processed food. So I don't eat dairy. Um, dairy has been a, a life changer for me. I used to consume tons of dairy. And my personal experience was, was that I thought I used to be healthy and I would eat yogurts and like granola bars and all the things that everyone thinks are healthy back in the day. And then I, I read a book about dairy. Have you ever read the blood type diet? I haven't. Okay. I mean, I'm not taking it as like the Bible, but I just think it's interesting. And I think everything that we read, we can like garner a little bit of information from it and use it for whatever works for you. Um, but that was one thing that I read there and I actually stopped it. It's been life changing for me. So I don't ever do dairy ever. And the more research I've done on it, if you think about it, it really doesn't like everything for me comes back to what our genes, how our genes, like our DNA is supposed to be, because we're the only species that drinks another species milk. That's enough said. My job. That's just how I am. And so this is the problem with the food pyramid is they tell you drink more milk, eat more grains. Um, I've studied a lot about um, basically how we were before agriculture and how we are after. Um, there's actually a book, I could probably find it here for you, called um, basically like paleopathology at the origins of agriculture. And you can study our bones of how we were before we basically became civilized. Because when we became civilized, we had farms, 
once we started having agriculture, we could live around the agriculture and that's when the city started, right? And that's when all of our diseases started because we're in tight quarters and then we introduce all these like super high carb foods with not enough protein. And so if you look and study, actually, you can see a very distinct change in our bones, right? Before we came into agriculture, we were taller. We didn't have any, as many illnesses or deformities. Okay, if you look at our bones, they were healthier. The, after agriculture, we're more malnourished. So if you study the bones, we have less nutrition now with more food than ever. And, and the big shift there was doing more like dairy farming and stuff? Yeah, mostly grains. So like corn, wheat, you know, soy. I don't think they had soy back then when this was started, but um, yeah, agriculture. So like when we became civilized, basically. And so that's where like a common term that we use in our space or when I used to be in the functional space is diseases of civilization because this is when all of these issues started. There's even a, a word around it. So tell me what happened when you quit eating dairy. Everything. Um, I used to get like chronic sinus infections. Um, I just was like super inflammatory, all of the things. Like I didn't have like dairy basically in some people. And there are some people that can tolerate it better than others. What they actually speculate is mostly like people in like the, in Northeastern Europe where, where there's less light they actually become adapted to tolerate dairy because they need vitamin D because they don't get it in the sun. Um, so certain people can tolerate it better than others, but for the majority of us, we cannot tolerate dairy. Even if you're not lactose intolerant, I'm talking about the way that your body actually responds with like inflammation to the protein and the sugars. But yeah, for me, it was just overall like less inflammation, less like sinusy stuff, like infections and just overall, like I felt a million times better. Do you think that's from the bacteria in the... It's probably from the proteins, the milk proteins, the, the casein mm. and whey. So no whey protein for you. Now, this is funny. I am, I'm not a vegan, but I do vegan protein. <laughs> I do too. So, you know, it's I don't do dairy. So, I mean, it, it really does sound like, I mean, just to circle this all back to the food pyramid thing. It, I mean, there's really no one size fits all when it comes to. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think like even some of the stuff that Gabrielle talks about, I don't personally feel well if I eat like a carnivore diet. I don't feel well. So, but for me, I have figured out that like, I do feel well when I eat a higher protein and a, and a decent amount of vegetables and a smaller amount of fat. And it comes down to like, we're learning so much about it. Um, have you heard of like genetic SNPs? I have not. Our genes are basically the same, like I said, right? As hunter gatherers, but there's these things called SNPs, which is like a single nuclear, whatever peptide. But it basically means like it's little tiny like variants on our genes that change over as we evolve. And so different people have like different genetic SNPs. It's a very small part of our like genome or whatever, but that could make the difference between you tolerating something like saturated fat or fat differently than I tolerated. So I definitely think that it's not a one size fits all, but I also think there's conclusive evidence that like on the extremes, I, you know, I believe I would go with one extreme over the other one. So for me, I would not be vegan. I would definitely sway towards the carnivore if I had to, even though I'm more in the middle, I do believe that we need, we absolutely need protein. So what are the teachers supposed to teach your kids then? So they teach the food pyramid. And so my kids come home laughing every time and they like, they bite, they're looking like, mom, they said that grains and dairy were like good for you. And they're like, we just sat there and like, didn't say anything. I'm like, they, I just, that's how I teach them. Like, just go, just go along with it. Don't say anything. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast with Lewis Howes and it was a, I forget which doctor it was, but it was a medical doctor, or, you know, practitioner. And um, he was saying that when you eat grains, basically seeds that are ground up into like dust form and then they're baked into bread. And then when you eat them, the, each of the particles still absorbs water, right, from the grain. And when those grains get mixed into your bloodstream and water, you know, is pumping through your veins and, and nourishing them, it actually causes them to inflate like a seed would germinate. And then that inflation is actually what causes inflammation. So you've got, you know, your knees or your shoulders have a buildup from years and years, you know, say you're a construction worker in Philly and you're eating cheesesteaks from the, you know, the little corner stands. Over the years, the gluten builds up in your bloodstream and then starts inflating and it literally constricts blood. It causes inflammation in the knees and things like that. And so, you know, when a guy in his 50s or 60s bends over and he's like, oh, I'm getting old, my back's hurting. It, it's really not related to age at all. It's, it's more of a factor of just inflammation from diet. And it can also be cleaned out if you stop. Totally. Yeah, our body is an amazing self-healing organism if you give it the right environment to do so. But on, on the gluten one, if you want to get really technical, I can tell you exactly what the main problem is. Is yeah. because gluten, gluten, the proteins, gluten has like 
glutenin and gliadin are the two main proteins of gluten. And basically those proteins in gluten affect your, you have a digestional like intestinal lining and there's like cracks in it, right? And there's this thing called zonulin that holds the cracks together. And so those gliadin and gluten actually break, they break down the zonulin and they cause cracks. And this is what's called leaky gut. Have you heard of leaky gut? Mm-hmm. There's intestinal, intestinal permeability, I can't say it, and leaky gut, which are two similar but different things. Um, and I actually, I've known so much about this from what I did, but now I actually, one of my clients is like the world leading gut expert. So I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, but I play on that Instagram. <laughs> so I know all about gut health. <laughs> and and so I, I took a gut health test. I went to the biohacker conference by, you know, the Bulletproof team or the Bulletproof Labs, Upgrade Labs, who does that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I did a gut health test and I got a bunch of uh, recommended foods, something I really love. Like I used to eat a lot of almonds. Apparently I'm intolerant of them. Uh, would you say that's a good starting point for people who want to start boosting their immunology and, you know, mobility and overall health, you know, resistance to disease? I think that those are great. Um, I've heard tons of, I don't know which one you did. Did you buy them? My husband actually did that one. I've never done them myself, but I've heard mixed reviews on them. So I don't, I would say the best place to start is honestly keep it simple. So what we tell people is if you want to start getting healthier, start with like simple stuff, like get rid of the processed sugar, stop eating dairy and stop eating grains. That's the first three steps that everyone should just like immediately cut and you will feel exponentially better. And then when you start feeling better, then you'll be more motivated to do other stuff. And you know, there's obviously more, you want to eat more vegetables and whole, you know, whole foods and the protein and the exercise. But like if an unhealthy person cuts those three things, they're going to feel so much better, like right away, super inflammation driving foods. Yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with removing stuff from the diet actively. I mean, it kind of like if you want to wake up earlier, the best way to do it is even if you get to bed at midnight, wake up at five and that way you'll be tired at nine the next night. And then it'll make super easy to wake up at five the next day. Um, I, I kind of believe the same, like a, that forcing function when it comes to eating, uh, is there a way that we can bring in or replace or add certain stuff and naturally kick out the other stuff? Like if you, you know, add asparagus to your plate, maybe we can foray the, you know, potatoes today. Yeah, I think that's like super individual because some people do really well with just cold turkey and they're like, I'm just going to stop doing everything all at once. And other people have to have like substitutions and do the baby steps like you're talking about. And so I think that's very individual for, you know what I mean, for each person. But I would say from my experience in this area that most people do better when they do baby steps because I'm a, I go ham. I'll be like, I'm stopping everything all at once and that's just how I operate. Uh, but most people don't like that. They'll be like in shock. So for most people, it's like, okay, do one thing this week. And then when you master that one thing, then you go, you know, then you start like slowly incrementally making changes. So that's what I recommend. So what do you think the, uh, the impact is of specifically diet changes and, and finding, you know, with hopefully some data backing, you know, making some decisions about what you're going to eat, what you're not going to eat. If, if, if somebody were to switch away from gluten and away from dairy, do you think that their immune system is going to become stronger? Oh, 100%. Because, well, number one, the gluten with the gut health. Gut health is everything. So the gut health has, we have, um, it's called gall. It's called, um, it's basically lymph tissue in our gut. So our immune system is in our gut. So when you have an unhealthy inflamed gut from eating sugar, tons of sugar, drinking alcohol, eating gluten, you know, overusing antibiotics, all the things that make gut issues, basically number one, your gut can't function properly to pull the nutrients out of your food. Then you develop leaky gut, which kind of the layman's terms is like undigested food gets in your bloodstream. It passes that barrier without being digested. And then it causes a, an immune inflammatory response. And when you have that chronic, like that chronic immune response, that's going to wear down your immune system. So by cutting out those like inflammatory foods, you basically give your body an ability to heal and then it allows it to function the way that it's supposed to function. For sure. Same thing with like sugar, super inflammatory. Yeah. It reminds me of a Tim Ferriss podcast. I forget which episode it was, but he was talking about how when you eat slow carb, which is like black beans is the main source of carbohydrates, the actual fibers of the bean are shaped like pine cones. And within our vessels, there's a, a plaque lining from years of eating specifically like fats that are hard at cold temp- at room temperature, right? As 
you know, our bodies aren't warm enough to keep them moving all the time, you know, over a hundred degrees, it would keep, it would require to keep something like Crisco liquid. So it builds up a lining, but the actual fibers themselves are shaped like pine cones and they don't necessarily uh, like destroy the fat. In fact, they just break it up. So as they pass through the vessels, they grab onto the fat cells, which are basically placked on there. And that's really the only way to break them up. The other way would be through, you know, thermogenics, heating your body up, doing intense like sprints or something like that and keeping a maintained temperature. But with our sedentary lifestyle, it's almost impossible that we would heat up the inside of the vessels enough. You know, it has to heat our whole body and then get through to like the, the vascular level to like melt that fat that is there. And that's why heart disease is so common because so many people have clogged vessels from this plaque in the arteries forming. But when you take out something like dairy or saturated fats and you know processed foods, which all contain those con uh, preservatives, by substituting in those fibers, you'll naturally improve your blood flow because it'll naturally clean out the vessels. And it, it makes awesome science sense if you ask me, but like just, you know, like you said, from a higher level, it's like if your body is working effectively and it's not having reactions to the dairy, even if they're subtle reactions, you're gonna overcome disease and, and sickness more easily. Totally. I, I have not heard that theory that you were talking about yet. So I don't know on that one. And there's actually um, a lot of, especially like these big people now with the carnivore movement. There's a guy I follow on Instagram, um, Carnivore MD, and he is a very big proponent now. Like what they're doing research on, what they're starting to show is like, that's actually not true about the saturated fat. Trans fat, yes, bad. But saturated fat, we actually need it. And so a lot of times when we restrict saturated fat, we don't have what we need to make cholesterol. And then we make more cholesterol, which is the problem with our disease. So it's super interesting because these people are eating pounds of meat a day. That's all they eat is meat and fat. And they're healthier. Their blood work's amazing. So I think it's, it's super interesting. There's so much, like, there's so much science. You know what I mean? There's so much that we still, like I said, we really don't know. Yeah, but as a starting point, you know, we can remove processed foods, a lot of the bread. Oh, yeah, we, white we know that. <laughs> yeah, we can yes. say that with confidence. Yeah, yeah trans fats, that's a good, sure. good caveat. It's, it's saturated fats. Mm -hmm. I think there's a difference between the mono and the polysaturated fat, but in general, trans fats are the ones that are in packaged foods. So those are yes. the ones that you want to avoid. Yep, yep. Um, so do, do you think that if you were exposed to COVID, would you get sick given how well you take care of yourself? I may have been exposed already. I don't even know. I went to California. I went to Mexico uh -huh, in March and came back and I got sick. But it was like a, it was like a, not like a cold or like a little flu kind of a thing. And I got better like a day or two later. And that's right when COVID was like, it was like right before everything shut down. Um, so who knows? I may have had, I have no idea. But so far, I mean, we've all had like little like, <clears throat> but no one's had anything. So I don't know. I, I'm not worried about it whatsoever. In fact, I want to get it so I can move on with life. It's like back in the day, do you remember, I don't know if you're probably too young and I am too, but our parents will tell us how when the chicken pox used to be a big thing, they used to have chicken pox parties and they would like put all the kids together and just get it over with so everyone could move on with life and just like make everyone get it. And that's what I wish we could do right now with this. It's like, can we all just like move through it? Yeah. So I was talking to a doctor here in Los Angeles and she was saying, this is at like April when things were very high tension and she was working in a hospital here and she was like, one, the hospitals are not overfilled, but two, we need to develop herd immunity. So we should actually be exposing ourselves and overcoming it uh, you know, at a, on a micro level, and it won't affect us mm -hmm. at such a macro level. Um, do, do you know anything about this concept of herd immunity? Do you think it's accurate? I do, but I'm not obviously an expert in it, but it's just like, the, if you say this, because you'll say, look at Sweden, this is what they did and they got herd immunity, but then they'll be like, but Sweden isn't as popular, you know, that's not the same population as America. Yeah. So they'll argue against it, but it's the same concept. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. So um, I absolutely agree with that. And I think, I, I personally don't think that it's been handled correctly, but. What happened in Sweden for those who don't know? They, they didn't do the lockdowns. So basically they went through it faster and it went, it went like this and they went like this and then they're done. Like they went through it. Because they just let it was like everyone just got through the whole. It's, they got her new meaning. It's pretty interesting if you if you look at it. But yeah, that's what the the naysayers will tell you that it's because they don't have the same population. So. But they're still shopping at grocery stores and going to gyms, or you know, during the summer, like the people are still going to get out. 
So even if the density is lower, people are still being exposed to it and overcoming it. I mean, it's the concept of herd immunity is the same concept of herd immunity. So, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not an expert. I'm not claiming to be an expert, but just from what I've read on it, it makes sense to me. And from what I understand about, you know, and it's from what I understand about microbiology too, because you have to like realize that bacteria and viruses are ubiquitous. Like you can't hide from a virus. We are all going to get it. So the godfather of functional medicine, Jeff Bland, he put out a whole article that basically said, we're all going to be exposed to COVID. So like, so now what? Like knowing that you're going to be exposed to it at some point, what would you do differently? Instead of hiding from it, like what would you do to make yourself more resilient? That's how we should be looking at this not hiding from it, but saying, hey, we're all going to be exposed at some point. I think it's hilarious. Like, I'll give you an example. I walk into my nail place. They have cycle. They make me wash my hands with, like, dial soap. I got a little face mask. They have the big shields. And then they touch my hands. And I'm like, is this, like, like, is this, am I the only person that thinks this is so stupid? You know, like, at the restaurants, they freak out and they have, like, the glass thing. Like, they make the guacamole and they have the glass thing, but then they, like, grab your stuff that you're touching. So it makes zero sense to me. Like, it's impossible to not all of us commingle and we're all going to get it. Yeah. The government in San Diego shut down. Uh, this is about a month ago. And all the restaurants, it's a big restaurant city, and restaurants started fighting back. And so they made a, a, a class action lawsuit against the government um, and said... Nice. And basically, the government, the, the judge ruled, like, unless you guys can prove with data that we're spreading infections through the restaurants, then... Uh, this is going to be lifted. And I don't recall exactly when that hearing was, but that's amazing. when the prosecutors went or when the defendants went to analyze the data, they literally, it was like a thousand restaurants that they analyzed, found zero infections that started there. So, I mean, all the protective measures and stuff are probably helping, but at the end of the day, most of the COVID tests are, you know, at least from what I've been hearing, are, are not accurate. And 80% that's of the another, cases are <laughs> asymptomatic. So it's like, even if people are getting sick, they're not really getting sick because, you know, they're not showing symptoms and stuff. So it's, it's really interesting to me because I guess my question for you is like, how come we don't hear about Sweden in the news? How come we don't hear about that San Diego case in the news? Like, do you think this you know, is being covered up or do you think that it's just, not gotten the kind of traction that it needs? Like, what are your thoughts there? I mean, are we, are we speaking openly? Because <laughs> I'm going to yeah. go on the rabbit hole. Go open. So my thoughts on it is that we're heavily censored here and we're controlled and the media is controlled. And there's a big agenda behind it. And the agenda is they want us to be in fear. They want to censor and they want to only show us what they want to, us to see, to be scared and to live in fear. Because if we're living in fear and we think that a vaccine is our only hope, to get rid of the pandemic, then what do you think we're going to do? We're all going to line up and get the vaccine. What, what do you think the powers would be? Like, what's the benefit for them to have us all in this kind of defensive state? Like, why would they want to do that? They want us in a state of fear so that we line up for the vaccine. So people, I think it's hard for people to understand. So like, nobody would do that just to make money. And I'm like, this isn't money. This is insane amounts of money. So I don't know the exact year. I want to say it was like 1987, if I had to guess. Um, They passed a bill and there's basically zero liability on vaccine companies. So they basically can make trillions of dollars and have zero liability. And do you know who pays the liability? We pay it out of our tax tax money. We pay for all of, there's a vaccine injury court that's paid out over $4 billion that we've paid for from our taxes. And these companies, these vaccine companies, make trillions of dollars with no liability. Sounds like the bank bailouts. It's a big business. It's a a big business. So do you think that, I mean, I don't know, I'm completely taking a shot in the dark here, but are some of those people making those calls of the lockdowns and stuff, are they they shareholders in these companies? Are they getting some kind of runoff benefit from it? Because I mean, why would they just be lining the pockets of big pharma? Well, no one will know that, but obviously I'm sure there's some you know, handshaking and things going on behind the scenes. I, I don't know. Obviously, I'm not privy to that kind of information, but one can only gather if you, if you see, ex, you know, like if you're seeing something and there's no other explanation, what would it be? Like, what would it be? Like, why would they do that? I mean, they're not all doing it. Like, look at here in Florida. Our governor is freaking badass. Like, he is literally like, nope, not locking down. And kids can go to school. It's un- there's no scientific data. It's scientifically unsound that you think that we should close down schools. He's got his guns blazing. 
So is there, is there more deaths occurring in Florida as a result of the openness? I have no idea. I honestly don't even know where death rate is right now because I don't watch the news or pay attention to anything. Well, I think it would it would make it through to some of the more public channels like Instagram and you know the news sources. If it were, I haven't heard anything about it. I don't think that our deaths are high. I think our cases are high. Our case count is high. But there's so much to be said about that because when they first started doing these tests, there's so Isn't much. Isn't that wrong. ideal? There's so much wrong. exactly because now the death rate is like negligible. That's the point. Like there's so many positive cases, but there's there are it's like. Literally, I don't even know if it's at 3%. percent i be less than 3% right now, which is less, it's less deadly than the flu. So do you think that it's accurate when, I, I just heard through hearsay that 80% of cases are not symptomatic. Do you think that's accurate for, for COVID specifically? I don't know the numbers on it because I haven't looked in a while, to be honest with you. I hadn't tuned out because I was so, so over it, just reading about it. But I def, I mean, there's definitely a lot of asymptomatic carriers and I do hear a lot of theories on it as far as like why some people develop more adverse reactions and why some people don't in my community because I'm like super involved in the health community. So I've heard some interesting research on it. Um, and I think it comes down to obviously we know comorbidities, which is like, you know, if you have diabetes, if you have any of these other chronic illnesses or autoimmune, you're going to be much more likely to get uh, like an adverse reaction from COVID. Vitamin D levels are huge. Like there's been a significant correlation between vitamin D deaths and deficiency in vitamin D. Dave, Dave Asprey just put a post about this. He put a post up and said, uh, he said, how about instead of like COVID tests before we get an airplane, we should do mandatory vitamin D tests. Um, that's another big one. Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. So yeah. vitamin D deficiency is a big cause of the deaths, comorbidity, and we are not supposed to go outside. Isn't that counterproductive? Can I do the emoji? <laughs> you got me. Why do you think they want us locked in the house? It's just baffling to me that people, I think if everyone was doing their own critical thinking and looking at things like sunlight and exposure to fitness and diet, they would realize that all the things we're doing are the opposite of what's actually going to make us healthy. Staying indoor, not seeing people, not socializing, and you know, being locked to computer screens all day. I mean, everyone I know is working more than they normally do. What's the thinking there? Like, how have people not connected the dots that you got to get out and at least go for a job, <laughs> you know, but like who's going to be inclined to keep up their habits right now? They're scared. They're scared. So they're not critically thinking they're living in fear. What's really, really scary is that there's data, there's scientific data that shows that when you live in a state of fear, it literally lowers your immune system. I want to say it's like by 50% up to four hours. And don't quote me on that, but it's something like that. And what I mean is like, literally when you get that reaction in your body, you're like T or killer B or whatever the, you know, the lymphocytes, they basically reduce. You, you get a reduction in things that help support your body. So imagine what's happening with all this, like you're talking about. People are inside, not getting sunlight, not being with their friends and family, depressed, probably drinking, excess drinking, not exercising, not going outside because they're scared, living in fear. Like this is setting them up for a disaster. It's a disaster. Yeah, there's been a lot of reports of suicide, domestic violence, alcoholism, like shooting through the roof. It's pretty heartbreaking. It's sad. Molestation, like rape of children, because the children are, if you think about it, like it's really sad. Like their school is their only escape, and now they're stuck home with these abusive parents. Scary. Um, I I recently read a book called When the Body Says No. Uh, Have me and you discussed this before? I think I told you about it. We briefly discussed it. Mm hmm. Okay, so basically what the book, the whole, the whole book uh, inspects the connection between stress and disease, right? And I want to distinguish between pressure and stress. Like in, in this case, I'm talking about stress being something that feels out of your control and so you're worried about it, so anxiety. Mm-hmm. And pressure being you're, you have a lot being asked of you, but you're doing it, right? You're channeling that Whereas energy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you're resolving those stress factors rather than, living with them. And in the book, he talks about, you know, people who have gotten Alzheimer's and breast cancer, smoking and lung cancer, all these different cases. And the most common connection between all of the very serious like cancer and and Alzheimer's and ALS and things like that is repressed emotion, right? Like 80% of the people who got it all had that in common, right? 
So there's, you know, genetic factors and there's nurture factors from their upbringing and their environment. But across the board, the people who did not speak their truth, did not voice their emotions, didn't have parents who listened. Like take, for example, uh, a lot of the cases of ALS, motor neuron disease, right? So it makes your brain deteriorate. And it's like ballerina, pianist, cellist, right? It's jobs that parents assigned to their kids at a super young age and said, you're going to be the best ballerina ever, and you're going to be my pet project, and we're going to work on this whether or not you like it. And then they go and perform for audiences, and inside, they're very conflicted. And also, across the board for the ALS patients, they were marked as uh, very, very nice people, like overly nice, also marked as perfectionists. So... For the people who have an internal conflict, their probability to get disease was much, much higher. And if you think about the level of stress that we're all encountered with right now, which is a conflict between us wanting to get out and socialize and be normal and happy, right? Like do the things like for myself, going to the gym, I haven't been able to go to, to my gym for, I don't know, six or eight months now. Very frustrated about that. That conflict, that internal conflict literally causes disease. And this book isn't popular, right? But it's by a doctor and he was actually seeing, he wrote about his patients. There's a book called, um, or there's a movie in the book called Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. And I was first introduced to this book when I got sick. Remember the last time we talked my story about how I got sick? Mm-hmm. And I owned a gym, I owned two gyms. I was the epitome of health. I was health, I exercised, I ate right, and because of the in, in, like immense emotional stress that I was under, I almost killed myself. And so the first part of my treatment, he made me watch the biology of belief. And he made me basically understand that a stressor is a stressor no matter where it comes from. So if it's an environmental toxin, if it's from your emotions, if it's from you know a road rage or car, like it's a stressor. It responds physiologically to your body the same way no matter what kind of a stressor it is. But your emotions, people don't think of that as, like, as affecting your body. And it's just, I think it's more powerful than environmental toxins or other things that can, you know, affect our physiology. And so the biology really believe he talks about how you can take stem cells and he puts them under different, like in different petri dishes and like gives them different energies or whatever. I don't know what he did exactly like for the emotions and we have to see what happens. It's incredible. Like our cells literally respond to these emotions. Yeah. They're called attack cells. Well, the ones that go in and kill the disease normally. Okay. So yeah. And in the, in the book, when the body says no, he makes the same case. He says that our body, our, our immune system is weakened when we're in a, like a scared, defensive, or you know, fatigued state. So if we're constantly in that state, you can only imagine how much that compounds over time, right? This isn't just a one-time thing. We can be under stress once or twice. Totally. But as, you know, as an ongoing thing, I mean, now we're looking at like eight months of, of being you know, kind of locked up in our houses. That's definitely going to have some compound effects. And um, I, I recall from the book, he was also talking about smoking patients who got lung cancer and they had all of the same carcinogens in their lungs. And some of them had a disposition for cancer. Some of them didn't. But the ones who did get cancer unanimously were ones that were suffered from childhood abuse, didn't have caring families. All of those stresses that come from the upbringing and get carried into the adulthood compared to the people who were just, you know, easy does it, casual people who happened to also smoke, had the same carcinogens in their lungs and did not develop lung cancer. So all the other environmental factors were isolated and removed except the stress factor and they developed lung cancer. Makes total sense. There's um, a lot of info and treatment going on now because basically like for example childhood abuse or trauma childhood trauma what happens is we have a nerve the vagus nerve that basically like goes in and like goes into a bunch of different organs and so when we're in the sympathetic state it goes it like a tighten right and it basically tells our body like hey we need to like shunt blood from the arms and legs and like put it or no we need to shunt blood from the organs and put it in the arms and legs so we can run right away from a tiger like say that you're in like you know fight or flight mm-hmm. But what happens is in these people that have trauma, they lose, it's called like their vagal tone or their vagal break. 
which means like when they get like a reaction, it like doesn't turn off. They're just constantly in a state of like fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight. Scary. And so as you can imagine, like you just said, that's exactly what it is. It like wears your body down. And so they're coming up with some really interesting techniques and therapies. I know that personally I've gone through a ton of therapy and inner work and modalities to work on mine because I had that issue, um, which is why I got sick. And, but now they do these crazy things, which I don't know if they're necessary, but like um, actually did ask me to talk about in this podcast, they do nerve blocks. So they basically go in and they like nerve block the vagal nerve and it resets the whole thing. So it's good for people that have had trauma, childhood trauma, because you can't like, it's very difficult to overcome that if it's in that pattern. It's really, really cool stuff. It is amazing. And the work that Dave and also uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza are doing, I think are, are mm-hmm. really going to be opening a lot of eyes yes. around the power of healing through those kind of modalities like breath work or, you know, like what you're talking mm-hmm. about, like blocking the, the, the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is also known for connecting the gut and the brain, right? It's the, it's the highway. I don't know if it innervates. Yeah. I mean, it goes to multiple different organs and your testimony and my anatomy and physiology from, from, from college that I don't remember. There's a gut brain connection and, or I don't know what the actual innervation is, but it might be the vagus nerve. Yeah. So, cause it goes through all the different organs. So my guess would be yes, for sure. So you have gut issues, you have everything issues, yes. That's how you have body consciousness, right? It has neurons in your gut, just like you would in your brain, and they analyze the data, right? Like if you're stressed and it says my body's broken down, I need to you know, be in a protected defensive state. Of course, you know, you can imagine the effects of impacts on the emotion that are now affecting the gut, you know, a lot of people suffer from indigestion and things like that. Those have, in a lot of cases, been traced back to behavioral and emotional issues. Yeah, super, super fascinating stuff. And, um, you know, I think as a mother, you've, you've, you've watched your kids grow up. You've, you've watched their health patterns and you have a lot of responsibility to, to their well-being. And that's fascinating to me because you have the responsibility of taking care of other people. You, if you want to be reckless with your, you know, biohacking techniques, then that's your prerogative. But when you, my prerogative in this case, you know, I don't have kids and all of that, but uh, if you're taking responsibility for other people, it really makes you think through your decisions. And of course you probably have experiences showing, you know, how well it's worked for them. Do do you think that their mood and health and all of that are where you had wanted to be based on how you've cultivated their life? A thousand percent. So we chose from the get-go, we don't, we've never vaccinated our children and at the time that I did it, I, I did not know as much as I do now. And it's incredible to me, like what I've learned about what's in these vaccines and how it responds to the, how it reacts, like basically how our immune system reacts to them. And so do you ever remember growing up kids having like anaphylaxis to peanuts? Like I was like, is, was that even a thing? No, it's so common now. And did you know that there's peanut parts like peanut oil in some of the vaccines? Yep. You'll be shocked at some other things. There's uh, human DNA from embryos. There's all kinds of stuff when you start researching. So basically what I learned was that I'm so fortunate because my kids have no allergies, no eczema, no ADHD, no nothing, like literally barely ever get sick ever. And I'm not doing that. Like I'm some great thing. I'm saying like, I truly think it's because I didn't do that. I didn't put those things into their immune system too. like, I didn't assault their immune system too soon. And I've always fed them a pretty consistent diet. That's let them have like good gut health. We stay active, you know, like, so we do all those things. So like everywhere I go, literally everyone's like, you know, they're just always so sweet and pleasant and they're always in a good mood. And like, I'm telling you, I just have no behavioral issues, nothing. So, and again, I'm not, I, I don't like to spit in the air and be like, my kids are perfect. But I really, truly really think a lot of it comes down to that. The thing, the choices that I made from the get-go have really set up their physiology to like express health. Like they're just very healthy kids. We never go to the doctor. You know when I go? We have to go once a year for their physical. And I go for their physical every year. And it's so horrible because you know the questions they ask me? How much milk do you drink per day? Are they getting enough grains? Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, ah, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I cannot listen to these questions anymore. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, no, we don't drink milk. They're like, well, what do you drink? I'm like, almond or coconut milk. And they're like, well, are they getting vitamin D? And I'm like, yeah, we go outside and I give them vitamin D. So like, they don't like, it's so antiquated. So. But their, their vitals are all in good shape. They're amazing. Yeah. They're just like literally so, so healthy. Do you, do you ever watch Family Guy? Too healthy? <laughs> I haven't watched Family Guy for a long time. <laughs> Too healthy. 
there's an episode where he goes to the doctor. She's healthy. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, well, good for you. I mean, that, that, that makes me really proud of you as a mother. And I think, you know, doing our own homework and having our own individual perspective on these things is totally our prerogative. And if other people don't agree with it, so be it. It's not, it doesn't need to be a conflict or a cancel. It can just be like, look, we'll live in harmony. You guys can do it how you want and I'll do it how I want. Absolutely. To that end, I wanted to ask one more thing about the kids. Oh, so I, I have this friend who, uh, I'm not going to speak his name, um, but he's a very, he's like a, just a chill stoner bro. And he's, he's really nice. He's in great shape. He's vegan. And um, he has a son. And his son, I think, is probably like six. And the other day, the kid was really frustrated. And I got this secondhand. But uh, he was like, oh, I'm so frustrated right now. And we were like, whoa, that's like pretty high awareness for a five, six-year-old kid for that to be his reaction instead of like kicking and screaming or crying. And before anyone could respond, his dad went up and was like, and what do we do when we're so frustrated? And he said, take a deep breath. And then uh, the kid, you know, winded down. And I just thought that was such a cool thing to see because it's like, I guess my understanding of kids not having any is that like, mostly from what I observe in public is most parents either yell back at their kids or ignore them. And having seen how he dealt with that and like just using a simple, simple technique, like a breath, I was like, damn, could you say that to me next time I'm being pissy? And it, it was just very profound for me. And like, you know, I, I guess I'm curious, like how have you taught your kids to, to deal with that kind of thing? And what can we learn from them as adults? Uh, well, I can say I do the exact same thing. I mean, not exact, but I, uh, when my kids get upset, the first thing I tell them to do is to do some big belly breaths because I teach them about breathing because I want to calm them down. Um, so we practice breathing here as well. And they make fun of me sometimes. <laughs> They're like, all right, mom. Um, but when they get really upset, I'm like, you got to calm down so that we can walk through this. And then we just talk rationally, you know? Like, I talk to them like adults. I don't talk to my children like they're babies. Um, I've always been like that. And it's one of the comments I get a lot from my kids is like, probably like what you thought of him, like, holy cow, this kid's like super mature. And it's not that they're mature. I think we just treat kids like we think kids aren't smart. And they're, they're very smart. Like kids will learn everything. They're like little sponges. And so the sooner that you start teaching them all the stuff that you do, like, for example, it drives me crazy when I used to do fitness competitions and the parents would be eating like broccoli and chicken and like rice and they take their kids to McDonald's. And I'm like, I'm like, if you know that you, you're eating healthy, like, why are you still giving your kids McDonald's? Mm -hmm. It's like, you, you know, like there, there's so much, they're amazing little creatures, you know, like they, they get so much if you teach them. So for us, it's just really about communicating it. And I was raised that children should be seen and not heard. So that was a very big issue that I had to overcome in my adult life because we talk about the emotional stuff. That's because that's how I was raised. I was never allowed to like talk or say or like, so I raised my children that they can talk back, but they can't yell. Like they can't be rude, but they can go back and forth with me. And sometimes if they have a point that's really good, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to give that one to you. That's a really good point. <laughs> I mean, if it's like a valid argument, I'm not just going to be the authoritarian and be like, because mm -hmm. I said so. The answer is no. So I empower them to learn how to use their voice. And I think it's important, like we're talking about, like learning how to use your voice and speaking up for yourself and like saying what you want. And also like, even as an entrepreneur, you've got to learn how to like ask and like, you know what I mean? Like, argue, like have a negotiation or argument. So those are some of the things that we do. And I think like it's, it's really, really important to let kids speak and to like have a conversation with them versus just like screaming. And I'm not saying I never yell at my kids, but I'm really, <laughs> that would be a lie. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of the issues that we face today are related to, to family matters uh, in the upbringing. You know, I think people like mm -hmm. me and you are very active about reprogramming um, just because, you know, we're kind of hell bent on it. It's our fascination. Um, but I think a lot of people were raised in a way that, didn't encourage healthy arguing. And I've played devil's advocate a lot in this conversation. I don't know if you can tell, but I, I think it's healthy, right? I, I think we should be able to have conflict, you know, whether it's real or perceived, uh, and, and be able to address it and tackle it together. Um, me and my business partner, every Monday at 5.30 p.m., we do a call called our frustrations call. And we tell each other everything that's pissing each other off about the other person. 
And it's our time to have a safe space and just be like, dude, you're pissing me off. Like, this does not make me feel comfortable. Like what you're doing here, like we, we got to think about this. We got to talk about this. And that has been very pivotal in, in opening up our growth, right? Because now I, I, I frankly sleep much better at night, right? Like the, the main thing that keeps me up at night is conflicts with business partners. So, and I, I have mm-hmm. a business partner currently, but I also am involved in some other businesses as well. So when there's unresolved conflict there, that's generally what will keep you up at night. How do I attack this, et cetera. This morning I, I journaled a lot because something was keeping me up unrelated to that, but also, you know, uh, an unresolved conflict. And it's when I got a lot out of journaling and I feel fine today, but as kids, you need to be able to have an adult conversation with them. That, that's always, you know, uh, we have a, a child with Down syndrome in our family and everyone talks to him like he's special needs, right? All through mm-hmm. growing up, instead of talking to him like a normal adult and teaching him regular enunciation, regular conversational techniques and stuff like that, people pity him. And pity, I think, is very toxic, especially for kids, right? So instead of facing something straight on, like you take a dog and, you know, rub its nose and, and it's shit when it, you know, shits in the house, you, you should be able to have that candid conversation with the kids. And, and it really starts back then. And after, you know, post facto, as we're grownups, it, it becomes a lot harder to have conflict discussions. Hard discussions get immensely mm-hmm. harder and they, they compound mm-hmm. over time. I think the, the longer you build habits of not having hard conversations, the longer you will go into a gray space. So like, talk to me about like uh, an encounter with your kids where you had a hard conversation and, and, and how do you open them up so that down the road they can also do that for themselves and their friends and, and their kids eventually. Oof, I'm going to think about that. Um, a hard conversation. I can't imagine there's any shortage of them. I'm just trying to think. I mean, for the most part, we don't have, uh, honestly, we don't have a lot of conflict. But I, we really don't. Um, it's like silly. It's unimportant stuff. You know what I mean? Let's see. I just want to jump in and interject that when you have had the big hard conversations, generally, there's very few of them after that, in my experience. Yeah, that's what I'm like. I'm just trying to think of like what those would be. I mean, right now it's interesting because I have two children with two different personalities. So my son is very much, he's more of a pleaser and like he wants to do good. And like, he's like, okay, whatever. Like he's just easy. And like, whereas my daughter is like, no, like everything is like, no, we like her and I like, mm-hmm. so with her, I'm probably going to have to have a lot more hard conversations, <laughs> but I've learned that for me as a parent, like I literally just pick my battles because some things are just so unimportant. I have not had anything that's been like a very serious thing yet because they're too young. My daughter is nine, my son's 12, maybe 13. And because my son's easy, there hasn't really been anything difficult. But my daughter, I'm sure as we grow up, it's going to be, it's going to be very challenging with her. So there'll be lots of hard conversations. Okay. I, I think they become more bite-sized though, right? Like you probably set a precedent where those conversations happen in real time and, and don't even become conflicts because you established clarity. But I mean, I think of it like credit card debt, right? Like if you let 20,000 build up on a card, that's going to seem very daunting and and scary to pay down depending where you're at financially. Um, You know, when I was in, I guess like my early twenties, I let some credit card debt build up. And after that, I was like, fuck this, never doing that again. And I read The Richest Man in Babylon for anyone who's listening. That's a great book on on Mm -hmm, saving, accumulating, building more wealth. But anyway, I paid it down, I think like 500 bucks a month at a time until I was like, you know, had a financial, enough financial momentum to like get the rest of it, you know, all taken care of. But it's a lot easier to pay it down 50 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a month at a time, either, you know, from the principal balance or, you know, as you use the credit, than it is to tackle a 20,000 or even a $200,000 debt. And that, it's that way in a lot of aspects of life, I think. And as you teach your kids these habits, I think they're going to bring those into the world and, and teach a lot of, you know, the next generation, those habits of doing the little work along the way, the stuff that doesn't provide immediate gratification, maybe it takes away an immediate gratification. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. there is no debt, whether it's, you know, hard conversation debt or financial debt, or any other kind of uh, accumulation that might occur. So I just want to ask a, a few more questions of you, Teresa, and I know you're a busy woman and um, I could definitely appreciate that. Let's talk about like 
For people who are still employed, do you think this is the time to branch out and start a business? Should we be taking risks right now, given all the uncertainties? You know, if you want my answer, yes. But, you know, I talk about this a lot because I've been very fortunate, blessed, whatever you want to call it. I'm not religious, so I don't say blessed. Um, because I really have not been impacted by anything. And most of my circle has not been impacted by anything. So it's kind of hard for me to, like, understand. You know what I mean? Like, I'm in such a different space because I'm an online entrepreneur. A lot of my clients are in the health segment, so it's been booming. You know what I mean? So it's, um, it's been difficult for me. But the answer would be yes. You know, I would double down. I would say this is a time, like, if you have more time, and you need to be like learning skills, like taking certifications, taking trainings, like learning whatever you need to do to make yourself more valuable, whether it's for somebody else to work for them and make more money or whether it's to be an entrepreneur. So I would say absolutely yes. You know, and, and this is where I think that there is a paradigm difference between people using credit for business and like leveraging it or like, you know, like people think credit is bad. And I think that this is like, if you don't have the money, this is where you use the credit to invest in yourself. You know, if I didn't have the money, I'd be putting my courses, whatever I need to be doing on there to learn this stuff, to be able to elevate myself. And I know you have a new course out right now, so we'll definitely plug that. What is the course that people can I wasn't plugging that, but if you want to plug it, sure. <laughs> oh, I want to plug it. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I have a bunch of stuff. I do, uh, I do a course biannually, so I have another course launching in February. I do, it's like online branding and Instagram strategy. So I teach people like entrepreneurs and experts, how to position themselves and come up with really good content and like how to make content that gets engagement. But I just launched a new membership, which is more of like the tactical stuff on Instagram, how to make cool reels and transitions and like all the cool filter stuff and features and all the stuff that nobody has time to figure out. I need to do that. So yeah, I work with busy entrepreneurs, so I listen to what they want and I make it for them. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should take that. Um, all right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take that in my mental notes. So I, I, I ran a, a survey on my Instagram recently. I'm going to I'm gonna read the results to you because I think it's fascinating. Uh, I got some answers that I was not expecting around, you know, how much do you have more money or less money than before COVID? You know, do you think that now is the time to be taking financial risks? Here, here are the results. At the beginning of COVID-19, should we have locked down more or less? 69% said more, 31% said less. 105 versus 48. Do you agree with the latest round of lockdowns? 61% said no. 39% said hell yeah. Will you be taking a vaccine? 60% said no. 40% said yes. If no, would you take a vaccine to get your next $1,500 stimulus? 65% said no. Still 35% who did say yes. So maybe that financial incentive will work for some people. Do you have more money or less money in savings than before COVID? 60% said yes. So to, to your remarks, if you guys have more money saved up right now, there literally couldn't be a, a better time to buy. It is most certainly in, in the world of starting businesses, it's, it's a buyer's market. And buying houses, it's a seller's market. But right now, talent is super cheap. Most people are out of jobs who are you know uh, administrative professionals like marketing, PR, things like that. You know, there's the most cheap software ever. Right. And, and programs like what you put out, Teresa. So I would definitely agree with you there. Um, will you be buying holiday gifts from Amazon or the brand's online store? 59% said small business, 41% said Amazon. Do you think we need to keep restaurants open for them to survive? 83% yes, 17% no. H how are these mandates getting passed if 83% said yes, we should keep them open? Interesting. Are you actively supporting small business with your spending? 86% said yes, 14% said no. I wonder who those 19 people are blocking them. <laughs> Do you care if politicians violate the policies they make the public abide by? 86% said yes, 14% said no. Interesting no there. What? That's, that's crazy. Are you open to taking financial risks or career risks right now? 66% said yes and 34% said no. I'll pause it there. You know, to, to me, and I know I have a mixed audience in my Instagram. It's not people who are far left and far right. Everyone is pretty moderate is my understanding, especially based on the results of that. They, some people want more lockdown, some people want less. And I guess like, if that's the consensus, why are we still closing restaurants? Why are we still not going into the office and, and, and being productive and working and all of that? 
They're not asking us. I think people are scared of getting in trouble. I, there's a huge move right now. A lot of people, if they're locking down again, people are not closing their businesses. It's a very big, it's a whole thing right now. Like I have a couple of friends who have a pretty big podcast. You know, Andy Trisala? I was listening to his this morning. I was going to mention him. He's one of my very good friends. He's one of the main people. He's like, you know, if this is going to end, you've got to stop and stand up here. Like you've got to stop. Don't freaking close your business. Don't wear a mask. Like, do you know what I mean? Like he's a very vocal person with a very big platform. So then there's a lot of people like him that are doing the same thing. So I think that it's getting more and more to where we are standing up, but there's still a huge majority of people that, like I said, are S personality and they're not going to do anything. They're just going to comply. The their mask on, stay in their house. Yeah. That's the account yeah. personality type. Yeah. For, for anyone listening, I would definitely recommend, even no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, I would recommend listening to Real AF, uh, Andy Frisella's podcast. Mm-hmm. He, he has a very yeah. uh, pragmatic and logical view on this, and he doesn't have a, a clear political stance on it all. It's, it's more just about we are real humans who every job is essential when we're feeding a family, right? So if your nail salon is closed... Your job is essential because your kids are depending on you, right? And the government can't pay you enough to live a, a robust lifestyle. So it, it, it's all essential, right? Because it's our living. Yep. He brought up something really fascinating in the episode that I listened to this morning, which is if you're concerned about the contraction of the virus, don't go out to restaurants, right? Don't go out. Same. For the people who are not concerned, who want to go out and be productive and, and live their life, they can put themselves at that risk. But most people, as soon as the restaurants open, are still going out, including the politicians, and, and, and eating and dining in these establishments that they're voting to close. So it, it really doesn't make much sense. And I guess I would just encourage everyone listening to like really think about this for yourself and, and do research on the data and figure out whether you know there is actual risk of getting sick, whether you're more likely to, you know, die from something like a flu or a car accident than, you know, the COVID virus. I want to close this off by really encouraging people to think independently here, right? Forego your your political standings and really make a decision what's best for you, you know, based on all the data points in your life. Are you happier? Are you more peaceful? Are you sleeping better? Are you drinking less? Are you eating more healthy? Are you working out more or less? Those are the things we should be thinking about. And naturally is those habits are corrected, the lifestyle and the health will improve regardless of, you know, whether lockdowns are happening or not. So Teresa, I I really appreciate you making time. It's always fascinating to talk and I wish I could just keep you here for hours, but I I do want to be respectful of of your time. (laughs) And um, I'd love to go deeper again sometime. With that, what are your final remarks for people as as we go into this next, into this winter phase and, you know, are, are going to be challenged with a lot of hard decisions to make for themselves and their families? My final remarks would be is, you know, you need to really take ownership and take initiative to really do your own research before you make these decisions for yourself and your family that could really gravely affect your income or your health, all these other things, you know, and and don't listen to any, don't take anybody's word, even mine or yours, like go do your own research, you know? So that's the biggest thing is the takeaway is I would really implore people to to start reading and searching and don't just go on the news or google because everything's censored you gotta dig i think that's why people don't do it because you gotta spend the time you gotta find you gotta find the resources what are what are some starting points like say three websites or blogs or books that you might recommend for somebody who wants to go on their own journey health or or current situation yeah let's go with health Ooh. Uh, Got the library. This is one of my favorite books. Well, this isn't the whole thing. This is one of my libraries. Best. This is. I'm obsessed with this book, and my best friend's probably laughing if she listens to this podcast because she tells me I'm banned from reading it. It's called Go Wild. This is Diseases of Civilization. That's a really good one. If you're really nerdy like me and you like really scientific stuff, this is the one I was talking about, which is the paleopathology at the origins of agriculture. It's like it was written by Homer. Um, yeah, that's the one that talks about like from the evolutionary perspective. I really like, it's kind of a similar to the book that you were talking about. It's called The Upside of Stress by Jennifer McCognell. And it basically talks exactly like what you were saying to where there's two different types of stress and not all stress is bad. There's like the challenge stress or the threat stress. So that's a really good book. Those are the three that came Go Wild is the best starting point for anyone that wants to like, for me, understand human, like humans. Yeah, physiology and the anatomy and all that. Awesome. Yeah, I think, you know, 
for myself, even if I get five minutes a day of reading, um, one, it's really gratifying and, and peaceful, but two, it now's the time, right? Like if, if there's any time, it's now to do your own homework and do your reading. So with that, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on, Teresa. It's always a pleasure talking to you here or, or elsewhere. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I will link uh, all of the books to, in the show notes as well as the link to your program. So if you guys do not already follow Teresa, it's at Pre- Teresa De Pascal on Instagram. Deepest Pascal. Mm-hmm. Yep, Teresa Pascal. It's my name. Cool. I will uh, definitely link that there as well. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank you, too.